0: So what are you waiting for? Get Bluehost Cloud today by visiting bluehost.com. That's bluehost.com.
1: Hello and welcome to the Money Nerds podcast, where owning a calculator, budgeting your money, and having a net worth is actually cool. I'm your host, Whitney Hansen, and each week I'll be chatting with inspiring people to learn their secrets to financial success. Now let's dive into the show. Okay, it's no secret. Investing for a retirement can seem super overwhelming. There's lots of terminology. There's lots of lingo. There's a lot of stuff to know. And not to mention there's so much nuance to every little thing. There's always exceptions to the rule. And man, I'm going to tell you the truth. It's taken me a long time to grasp what all of this retirement stuff means. And I'm a pretty educated person, but it's still really confusing. But one of the topics that I recently learned about in the past couple of years is Roth conversion ladders. Now these are really interesting to me because it's a very easy way for you to access more money and to get access to your money a little bit sooner. So if you do choose to go down the retire early path or something comes up and you, I mean, God forbid need your your retirement money sooner, there's ways that you can actually legally access that, and it's not gonna cost you an arm and a leg. That's one of those topics that, when I first learned about that, I was like, I wish more people would tell people about this, but it's also kind of a beast of a topic. So that's why I'm really excited to bring on Brandon Renfro today. He is an expert, in fact, he has his PhD in finance. He is a financial advisor, a fee-only advisor, and he's also an assistant professor. So he is doing some really cool things in the work of personal finance, and I couldn't think of anybody better to talk about this topic with. Okay, my first introduction to Brandon was through a Facebook group. I met him. He was an expert on Roth ladder conversions and basically all things finance, and I immediately knew I had to get him on the show so that you guys could learn from him. He is a fee-only financial advisor. That's a really important piece to pay attention to because that's a newer concept, again, another nuance in the financial world that's really important to pay attention to because the fees are a lot more transparent, and he is an assistant professor. I think this is really evident in the way he speaks about financial topics. He has the heart of a teacher, which I really appreciated. He's teaching at East Texas Baptist University. And in addition to all of that, he is also a father and husband, which I always think is a really cool little plug. And he's been serving in the Arkansas Army National Guard since 2009 and is an infantry captain in the 39th Infantry Brigade. He teaches courses on investments, economics, personal finance planning, corporate finance, international finance, and money and banking. In addition to all of that, he writes really in-depth and well-articulated articles on financial topics that people like you and me can completely understand. It's not at a very high level. It's definitely not at a dissertation level. So it's very manageable, and I think you guys are going to love his website. In this episode, we talk about Brandon's background and his perspective on FIRE, where that actually stands. We talk about why he went into financial planning to begin with, a really simple breakdown of what an IRA is, and clearing up some common misconceptions about them. We talk about how to decide between a traditional IRA and a Roth IRA. That is the ever-going debate, it feels like why any IRA is actually better than no IRA. So if you're feeling a little bit of pressure to pick a certain one, he's gonna really break this down for you. We talk about how you can access IRA money legally early. This is an important piece because I didn't even know this existed. We talk about red flags to be aware of when you're investing. Addressing that rational, that investing fear, just we all have that fear around investing and Brandon has some really great perspectives on that. We talk about some great resources for learning more about investing and why you might consider using a fee-only financial advisor. I personally thought this episode was really interesting and I think you're gonna learn a lot. I highly recommend if you are a 2X kind of person or one and a half speed, you might want to leave this one on normal speed so that you can really grasp the concepts and just like really like let those saturate your brain. I, I don't know, maybe that's just me. If it's a heavier topic, I always have to like really pay attention. That's just, again, my style. All right, I am so excited to introduce you to my friend, Brandon Renfro. Okay, you guys know I'm a big fan of education, but sometimes it comes with a lot of debt that can follow you around for years. That's why I'm excited to introduce you to today's sponsor, Outlier.org. Outlier was started by the co-founder of Masterclass, and they offer beautiful 4 credit online courses. The two classes that they're currently offering are Calculus 1 and Intro to Psychology. You get the flexibility of an online course with the super high production value. The courses are for credit, so they'll transfer to your university and... It's way cheaper than taking a normal college course through your university. If you have prerequisite courses that you have to take for your major, which let's be real, we all do, this is a great way to knock those out. Classes start on January 13th for their spring semester. You can learn more or register at outlier.org. Again, that is at outlier.org. Hey, guys. Welcome back to another episode today. I am joined by now my year-long friend, Brandon Renfro. Brandon, thank you so much for hanging out.
0: Yeah, thanks for having me.
1: So I was, we were kind of laughing because we we tried to record, and I mean, you know, we were just having, like the, the at Mercury's in retrograde, whatever you want to say, it was not working out for us. So I am seriously so excited that this is working, and we're able to chat because this topic that we're talking about today is so awesome. So thank you again. Okay, so Brandon, one of the things that I get a lot of questions about is when people are looking at this whole financial independent retire early movement, they get really excited about the idea of not having to work ever again, which is cool. Like I think that idea sounds really awesome, but I think a lot of people are very confused because we were taught traditionally to put all of your money into your 401k, your traditional IRA, your Roth. And then it comes down to how do we actually access that money? And so I think that's a common issue. So let's talk a little bit about first and foremost, your background. And how you got to where you are today, and then we're going to dive into some terminology and what this all means for
0: us. Yeah, sure. So, uh, you know, first and foremost, I'm a professor. You know, that's my my full time gig. Uh, I teach at a small private school in uh, in East Texas, East Texas Baptist University. Um, and so, you know, that's that's what I do. And then I have a financial planning business, um, and that's very much my interest is in uh, retirement planning, uh, distribution strategies, uh, and so that that's kind of my you know angle. Uh, on this whole topic, not necessarily early retirement specifically, um, but as you said, it you know is such a popular uh, thing, and of course, it sounds cool. You know, who 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 wouldn't want to, you know, even if you are doing something, uh, you know, still still productively, you know, in your forties or fifties. That idea of financial independence, you know, who wouldn't want to be you know retired in that aspect? Uh, so it is a popular topic. You're you're right. You know, people uh, people are very interested in it.
1: Yeah, it's it's really interesting to me too. So I personally don't think I'll ever officially retire. I kind of love what I do, but I get the draw there. And so one of the things that I always think is so fascinating is this FIRE concept. Is this a newer concept from what you've seen? You've been in the industry for a while. Is it brand new or is it just becoming a little bit more mainstream?
0: You know, I think it's really just becoming more mainstream. Uh, admittedly, I only uh, you know came aware of it within the past few years. Uh, because you know, It's not the kind of thing that you do really in an academic setting. Right. True. Um, you know, you kind of learn more of the, the traditional, you know, this is how retirement planning works. This is how insurance works. Uh, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so, um, you know, and it typically, I think early retirees and I'm just kind of spitballing here. Uh, you know, I think they might tend to be a little more do it yourselfers So wouldn't necessarily, uh, engage as much, uh, with a, with a full-time planner. Uh, You know, certainly not the case for everyone, but I just, I think that's a, you know, kind of part of that personality.
1: That's a really good point. So from a financial planning perspective, do you think it's still important? So if if somebody's on the path to fire and they want to retire early, do you think it's still important that they do consult with a professional and talk with the planner or is that not really necessary?
0: Yeah, I I think it could be. I I don't think it's necessary, um, but it it can certainly be helpful. Uh, And I'm sure there are planners out there uh, you know, that they build entire practices around, you know, dealing with early retirees specifically. So, you know, for sure, you know, not not inherently just because you're an early retiree, you know, necessarily means you're a do it yourself or even if you're a do it yourself, or it doesn't mean that you'll, you know, even be interested in developing the expertise and every little nuance, uh, you know, that's going to affect you. So certainly if that's the case, uh, you know, you might, you know want to engage a planner say on an hourly basis you know hey i've got this specific question i either can't figure it out or realize it's going to take me more you know time and effort than i really care to put into it uh can you just help me with this this particular aspect so so yeah no i think there's still room uh for sure uh, for professional engagement there
1: i like that you mentioned that too because sometimes that is the case where you don't need a full-fledged financial plan sometimes you, people are really creative they can figure that piece out themselves but some of the the more complicated issues, the taxes, the accessing your money early, that kind of stuff is very scary and very confusing. So I think that's really a good point that you can still go to a professional and have that conversation. Um, I want to hear a little bit more about you. Why did you go into financial planning?
0: Oh yeah. Um, so so to be honest, I I just find it interesting. You know, I really wish there was some big dramatic story I could tell you, but. <laughs> the truth of the matter is it's just fun to me. Um, you know, and I get asked that question all the time, you know, and I, I love my job, you know, teaching, uh, like I said, is my primary, um, you know, engagement, uh, and, and I love doing it, talking about it, I love learning about it. Uh, you know, I now, I I write articles on my website uh, that you can go and read and, and I just, I just enjoy it. You know, it's interesting to me.
1: That's so cool. And your website is awesome too. I was reading through some of your articles and it's very detailed and it's very, it's not necessarily from a straight academic perspective. You definitely dumb it down for people like me to understand. (laughs) So I appreciated that. No problem. So speaking of dumbing it down, we're going to go through some very basic terminologies so that all of us can understand because I know for a lot of people that are extra money nerdy like me too, it can seem like, well, we should have this stuff figured out. So it's almost embarrassing to ask some of these questions when people get into it too far. So let's just like, we're gonna assume people don't know anything about retirement. Let's go through some terminologies. What the heck is an IRA? Let's start there.
0: Yeah, so uh, it's just a a tax advantage account uh, that lets you save for retirement, right? So you contribute money uh, to to your IRA, uh, you get to deduct that off your current, uh, you know, year's taxes and, um, you know, the money can grow, uh, what we call tax deferred, meaning, you know, the money stays in the account, earns returns, earns interest, however you have it invested. Uh, and then whenever you get, you know, 20, 30, 40 years into the future and you're retiring, uh, you can withdraw that money, uh, and then you, you pay taxes on it then when you withdraw it. So it saves you money up front on your tax bill. Uh, and then, of course, investments, uh, which is you know, probably a tangent that we don't necessarily need to go down here, uh, but you know, investment activity generates uh, tax obligations as well, and it kind of shields you from that along the way so that there's really only that one, provided you follow the rules, there's that one taxable event at the end, which is you know, withdrawing the money.
1: Gotcha. Okay, so it's it's definitely a tax advantaged account, and I think the confusing piece for people is when they open up, say, a Roth IRA or even a traditional IRA, they hear this stuff, but then they're like, okay, but what does that mean? Like, is this like a savings account? how, how is it actually structured?
0: Yeah. So so you know, actually, depending on your your definition there, how you're using savings versus investing, you know, yes, you could use the IRA as simply a savings account. I'm just putting money in there and going to let it. Uh, you know, sit and earn some very nominal rate of interest. Um, but, you know, most people will then, you know, take it and, and you obviously get the most benefit uh, if you take it and then invest that money, right? So within the account, and I, you know, I have to explain this to people all the time, it, it is only an account, you know, a very common question that you get uh, about IRAs. Well, what do you earn on an IRA or how much right. does this IRA, you know, return each year or whatever, you know, however it's worth um, the IRA is only an account, you know, so you still have investment decisions to make within the account. So you invest the money, you know, it accumulates. Uh, and then, you know, as I said, when you retire, whatever that point may be, and you withdraw the money, you then just pay, you know, your, your taxes on the money then.
1: Got it. Okay. That does help a lot because I know it is very confusing. It seems it's like oh, almost this arbitrary thing out there and people get so confused on that. So when it comes to choosing a Roth IRA versus what we call a traditional IRA, how do you know which one's best for you and what do each of those mean?
0: Yeah. So basically what I just explained was a traditional IRA, You know, upfront tax deduction, earnings grow tax deferred. Uh, a Roth basically just flips that around. Uh, so, you know, you put your money into a Roth IRA front. Uh, you don't get to uh, deduct that money, uh, but then on the back end, okay, so, you know, whatever you put up front, you know, like I said, it's going to grow for however long you have it in there. Uh, and then on the back end, you get to withdraw the money and not incur, uh, you know, any tax obligations. So, you pay taxes up front instead of that withdrawal. So, again, just kind of reverses. Uh, the the traditional scenario. Mm.
1: So how do we go about picking which one's going to be best for us? Do you have any suggestions?
0: Yeah. So, so, you know, to try to keep it, you know, somewhat simple, um, you know, basically you just need to think about, well, when am I going to be in a higher tax bracket? Right. And so just think about avoiding the highest tax bracket. Mm. So if you are, you know, a really high earner and you are, you know, further along in age and it may only be a couple of years until you retire. You know, there's a lot of factors uh, that are suggesting you are in a higher tax bracket now than you will be in retirement. So you just think about, okay, if I'm, you know, a high earner, I don't have substantial earnings. So when I retire, I'm probably going to be in a lower tax bracket. This is for you. Um, You know, so again, you just kind of think about those factors and and kind of, uh, you know, if you are, you know, lower earning, you've got, you know, you're in a a fairly low tax bracket now and you're, you know, saving a lot, you've got a long time to let those earnings compound, uh, there's a good chance you're going to be in a higher tax bracket. Uh, So if you do the Roth, that'll, you know, allow you to withdraw that money tax free and again, you know, you'd be avoiding the higher tax bracket, and, and obviously, it's it's an unknown. You know, it's a projection, uh, so it it really is just based on your your best uh, analysis of what is probable.
1: Gotcha. And to my understanding, too, I think a lot of times we think it has to be one or the other. It's either a Roth or a traditional IRA, and we can actually optimize both of those. Is, would you suggest that if somebody's getting started with put, putting money into their retirement accounts and they're just getting comfortable, should they be looking into both options or should they stick with one? What, what do you suggest there?
0: Yeah. So if someone's just getting started, um, you know, I would I, I would probably suggest that they just focus on which one is the best. Uh, not to say that they're aren't scenarios where we're kind of Mm -hmm. blending from the onset, uh, you know, might be better. Uh, but generally I start looking at, you know, blending the two accounts once things get a little more complicated, Complicated. you know, if you've got significant savings in one type of account, you can start to see that that balance, uh, you know, Hey, look, I think I might be about to tip myself over into that realm of, you know, my tax bracket's going to be higher in retirement. Then maybe you can kind of shift gears. Mm -hmm. Um, but two, uh, you know, there's there's over the course of a lifetime, if you're starting earlier, there's going to be just kind of some natural events uh, for a lot of people that might cause them to have, uh, you know, multiple different types of accounts, even to include just you know, good old-fashioned taxable investment brokerage accounts. Mm-hmm. Uh, so so certainly, I think um, you know, it's relatively normal. Uh, you know, definitely not something to avoid. Uh, something you know, relatively normal to. To as you go through, you know your whole working life to to have different different types of accounts.
1: Gotcha. Okay. So I know there's a lot of people that listen in that are like me, self-employed, and they're trying to navigate all of the retirement stuff as well. What are some of the basic IRA options that self-employed people have access to?
0: Uh, yeah. So you've got uh, obviously you're just you know your standard traditional uh, and Roth um, IRAs that that anyone has access to. Uh, You've got SEPs and SIMPLEs, uh, which they just have a little higher, uh, you know, contribution limits, um, and the rules are a little bit different uh, for withdrawals, but they all offer those same basic, uh, you know, tax advantages. But then, too, you know, to to specifically speak to, uh, you know, self-employed people, uh, an account that I think gets, uh, does not get the attention it deserves is the solo 401k. Uh, you know, if you if you're an individual business owner, uh, you know you don't have any employees other than a spouse, and you don't plan on, you know, you you don't think uh, that you're going to be hiring any employees uh, in the near future. Uh, the solo 401k, uh, you know, can be really, uh, you know, a really good account. You know, you've just got all the same limits uh, as a standard 401k, uh, and so you can really put away uh, a lot of money. Particularly if you're going to use that Roth option. Uh, because you know, as you know, with a Roth IRA, I know the limit changes every year, but you know, you're limited on what you can put in there. Uh, and the Roth 401k limit uh, is significantly higher.
1: As of today, what are the the two limits for? Just like a traditional IRA, and then a solo 401k. Uh,
0: yeah. So for 2019, uh, the limit is six thousand uh, on a on a Roth IRA or a traditional IRA, uh, and then for the 401k. Actually, I'm gonna Google that real quick.
1: I know, I'm trying to remember too. Cha- yeah. 17.5, maybe, or something like that.
0: No, it's actually up closer to, yeah, 19. Uh, 19 so 19,000. Yeah. Wow. So crazy, right? Um, I mean, and I get it. You know, everyone's not, you know, self employed. So, you know, for a lot of people, this account isn't, uh, you know, really a viable option. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, if, if you're self employed, you don't think you're going to hire employees in the future, and you're trying to save a lot of money. I mean, nineteen thousand Roth dollars. Uh, you know, that's a lot to sock away uh, for most people. So, you know, it's a great account.
1: And with the solo 401k too, that directly reduces your taxable income, so it's more beneficial for your business. Is that kind of the the philosophy behind that?
0: Uh, so, uh, again, with a Roth, you can't deduct that amount. Uh, but yeah, if you're doing the traditional and you're going to put away nineteen thousand uh, yeah, you know, certainly that's a, that's a tax advantage. Um, you know, significant tax advantage.
1: Dang. I need to rethink my strategy because I actually have not been using that. I've just been using my traditional Roth. Um, my traditional, I should use the right terminology, my Roth IRA. (laughs) (laughs) People are like, wait, I'm so confused. (laughs) Yeah. I could see that getting very, my Roth IRA, everybody, not a traditional Roth that doesn't exist. So, okay. I, (laughs) I love that you have like dumbed this down for us because I think that understanding the basics is so critical. So then you can start to get a little bit more advanced. So I appreciate you doing that. So yeah. talk about a slight, oh, I'm sorry, go ahead.
0: No, and I was just going to say on that point, um, you know, obviously there's a lot of nuance to to planning and saving for retirement, uh, you know, but when I'm talking to my students about this, mm-hmm. you know, what I tell them is, you know, really, You know, yeah, you you can you can dive in, you can parse through a lot of detail, and there's certainly value to that. But the reality is so many people are closer to doing nothing than they are to doing everything. You know, I tell them if you'll just start, start and do it terribly, you're still gonna be better off. You know, if you can just simply make the decision of I'm gonna pick one of these IRAs, you know, even if you're not optimizing your tax strategy, you just you're just deciding I'm going to save. And you're going to flip a coin, pick a Roth or a traditional, and I'm just going to start putting money in there on a consistent basis. You're still going to be so much better off than if you, you know, stall, you know, wait ten years, maybe never do anything. Um, yeah. So, so again, I'm not suggesting anyone wing it. Uh, my entire, you know, professional career is centered around people not winging it and wanting to do it correctly. Uh, <laughs> I'm I'm specifically speaking to those people who are thinking ah, oh, this is complicated I don't want to fool with it just pick an IRA start saving money you're gonna be so much better off than not
1: I, I love that you mentioned that and I think sometimes we we do we listen to podcasts we read blogs we get so in our heads and we get a lot of head knowledge but we don't apply that to our personal lives so you're spot-on it's like if you are not saving for retirement and you're not investing for retirement start today pick one and go with it yep. I love that that's really really good advice and then once we do get a little bit more complicated where we discover fire and we're like, all right, I'm ready to do this. I'm, t- I'm done with work and I'm going to, you know, throw up the deuces and walk out of the office. We get to that point, how the heck we put all of our money into say a Roth or a traditional or maybe even our 401k. How do we access that money legally early? Can we?
0: Yeah. So, um, so yeah, that's so what we're getting to here. The, the Roth conversion ladder. Uh, so you know, I told you there's, there's some, some nuance, some rules about when you can withdraw this money in, this, uh, in, in your IRA. So the rule is if you withdraw before 59 and a half. Okay. So when you turn 59 and a half, if you withdraw before, then you're, you're subjecting yourself to a 10% early withdrawal penalty. All right. So the big question then is, well, if I'm retiring early and, and in this case strictly defined early uh, as being anything before 59 and a half, you know, how, how can I avoid that 10% penalty? Mm-hmm. Uh, so a couple ways to do it. Uh, one, understand that your Roth contributions. Okay. So the, the dollars that you put into a Roth IRA, you can always withdraw those at any time for any reason and not incur a penalty. Okay. And just apply some logic here, right? So if you did not get a tax deduction upfront, you put that money into an account, you can kind of think of it as the IRS saying, you know, that's your money, right? We already taxed you. We already got you. Yeah. You know, you can have your money back if, if you want it back. So you can always withdraw that money. Uh, so, so we're kind of using that, uh, that, that, and we got to expand here you know, a little bit, kind of using that to say, okay, well how can we kind of push money into that category so that we can, you know, start withdrawing it, uh, and not incur the 10% penalty. So, so you've got this uh, traditional account built up, right? Because, you know, as you said, you know, traditional is traditional, right? You know, so a lot of savings uh, is in traditional IRAs. So you can convert a traditional IRA into a Roth IRA. Okay. So you've got money in a traditional, I'm going to put it in a Roth IRA now. When you do that, you just have to pay taxes on the amount that you convert. Huh. Okay. So you've got however much money in your, in your traditional, roll it over to a, or I'm sorry, to use precise language here, convert it uh, to a Roth IRA and uh, you just you pay taxes on it then. Okay. Well now it's in a Roth account. Okay. And so, as I said, one of the benefits of the Roth is that, you know, there, there are ways we can avoid the 10% penalty. This is different though. Roth conversion dollars are different than Roth contribution dollars. So with this Roth conversion, You're paying tax at the conversion. So you're good as far as income tax is concerned, right? You've already paid it. Mm -hmm. You then need to wait five years. Okay, if you do any amount of searching on Roth IRAs, you're going to come across the five-year rules. Sometimes it's called the five-year rule. Reality, there's several different five-year rules. The rule that applies here is five years after the conversion, you can withdraw the money and not be subject to the 10% penalty.
1: That is incredible.
0: So, yeah. So, what does it do? It immediately lets you save 10%, right? So, if you had just withdrawn directly from your traditional IRA, you would have paid income tax, which you did anyway, right? You either convert or you withdraw you're paying income tax. On a withdrawal, you pay a 10% penalty, but if you withdraw converted dollars from the Roth IRA after five years, you don't owe the 10% penalty as well.
1: That is so crazy. So does that also, we're talking like the traditional IRA, does that include any 401k contributions or is that a different realm?
0: Yeah. No. So same, same thing. There's again, different nuance, but yeah, basically same thing. You know, if you, if you roll over your traditional 401k into a Roth IRA, you know, the same, the same is going to apply. Um, now, so where the idea of a ladder comes in, um, you know, basically you're, you're looking five years out, right? So if you're going to convert a sum of money today, five years later, or at least five years later, right? So obviously it can sit there for eight years. It's a minimum of five years. Yeah. So you're looking, it was to keep it simple though, less numbers to remember, but let's just say five years out, you're going to retire before 59 and a half. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: You convert the money today, you can withdraw it five years from now and avoid the 10% penalty. So, but let's let's think about what happened at the conversion. You paid income tax, right? Yep. So every dollar that goes into your taxable income, you know, we know the, the income tax rates are progressive. So the more money we convert, you know, we're we're pushing ourselves higher up uh, that taxable income. Uh, you know, we're we're potentially pushing ourselves into another tax bracket, a higher tax bracket. Yep. So think about how much you need each year in early retirement. Think about where that sum of money, if converted, would fall within that, uh, within, you know, the, the tax brackets mm-hmm. and don't convert so much that you needlessly roll yourself into a higher bracket. So, you know, you cap yourself off for you know, whatever amount, hey, I just filled up this tax bracket. I don't want to roll into the next bracket. This is enough money for one year. The very next year, you're going to do that again, and that conversion would then get you six years from now your early, uh, you know, retirement income. So the latter concept comes from how many of those yearly conversions. You know, so if you've got to build, you know, six years or seven years or how many years out, you know, you're trying to build of early retirement, mm-hmm. um, you're, you're doing a conversion each year, and that's that's where the ladder comes from. So Roth conversions staggered by a year to build the Roth conversion ladder.
1: This is like game changing, my friend. So I see the the potential roadblock or the red flag of pushing yourself into a higher tax bracket and trying to save money, but actually costing you extra because you took out too much. Are there any other caveats or red flags that we should be aware of with this strategy that could actually bite us
0: later? Um, you know, anytime you're dealing with with tax code, though, you know, obviously you've always got to, you know, be real precise, be careful about what you're doing. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, here on the hot seat, something will probably come to me as soon as we get off. The,
1: it's the always board. how it goes too.
0: Yeah,
1: If <laughs> You like pull out a paper here. Here they are all the red flags. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think this is, it's such an interesting concept. So one of the things that I wanted to dive back to, because I think this could be game changing for people too, is on the Roth contributions you mentioned. So let's say hypothetically, I put into my Roth every single year. So this is my after-tax dollars. I get my paycheck. I go deposit that money and invest it into my Roth IRA. So when I'm doing that, you mentioned that you can pull out that contribution. So is it like legitimately, I can pull that money out for anything. So I could pull it out if I wanted to pay off a credit card or if I wanted to take a sweet vacation, maybe don't recommend that, but is that in theory, that's what I could do?
0: Yeah, absolutely. And that's, uh, and again, I think you you phrased it you know correctly. You know, in theory, you can do it, yes. Uh, and it's not that you're trying though. But you know, that's that's another awesome planning element of a Roth IRA. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you can you know max that Joker out every year. You know, let's say you you know again doing this over the course of a career. You know, by the time you've got 20 or 30 years of max Roth contributions, you know that's that's money that you could. Okay, and again, you. You and i are on the same page you could access it you know if an emergency comes up or you know whatever happens and you need some some cash yeah you know that's a uh, that's money that you can access without uh, you know triggering any crazy you know tax scenario crazy
1: crazy this is so interesting it's so nuanced there's so many little rules and back doors and it's just so crazy to me so with all of this Um, we're assuming for higher growth that you are investing. You're not saving, you're not going to your bank and opening up the IRA with the, you know, 0.25% return. We're assuming that you're investing. So one of the things that people get really intimidated of when it comes to investing that I see is I don't want to lose all my money. Is, is this like a rational fear or do you have any thoughts on that?
0: Yeah. So, you know, and I know, as you know, um, we could open a huge can of worms right here. Um, you know, yeah. <laughs> Anytime you invest, right? Yeah. You're exposing yourself to some risk. Sure. Um, but that's where that whole idea of, you know, keeping it simple, you know, index funds, choosing a good asset allocation, uh, you know, to achieve that, that good diversification. And then you know, like, that ah, I guess let me back up I'm talking ahead of myself. Um, you know, so index funds gets you the diversification, right? You know, you, you're invested in, you know, hundreds or thousands of companies, you know, and on how many funds you choose. Uh, then uh, you balance those funds, right? And You can, again, keeping it simple, just look at a mix between stocks and bonds. And, you know, you kind of think of it on a sliding scale, right? You know, the more stocks you have, the more risk you're exposed to. Um, you know, the more bonds you have, the more uh, stable uh, and safer the portfolio is. Yeah, in all cases, there's risk. Uh, but you can, uh, you know, you can dial that risk, uh, using, uh, you know, an asset allocation strategy and, and dial it into what makes sense for you.
1: Mm-hmm. I love it. I, I think a lot of times too, it just seems very overwhelming because of some of the terminology. So I appreciate you sharing that when you're in an index fund, you actually are diversified. So why why is diversification important? Because we always hear these different concepts of put all your eggs in one basket and watch that basket really closely. And then there's the, no, you should spread your risk out and be a little bit into everything. Why, why, why do you believe diversification is a big deal?
0: Yeah. It just, again, it, you know, it simplifies it and, and efficiency. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, in, in terms of that risk, diversified risk is efficient risk, you know, it's just again kind of putting the academic hat on now. You know one of the first things that a student will learn in an intro to investments you know there's there's all kinds of risk it doesn't all compensate you you know uh some of it is a uh, you know very inefficient risk and when you, when you invest in an index fund uh you know you just get that broad diversification uh, and then you know again it's not about picking winners and avoiding losers and, and you know which is where you can kind of start inputting some of that inefficient risk uh, and it's just a matter of balancing the portfolio. Mm-hmm.
1: Where does somebody go if they want to learn more about investing and maybe they want to try doing some of this stuff on their own? Do you have any resources that you recommend aside from your amazing website, which you're more than welcome to plug?
0: <laughs> yeah, cool. Yeah, so brandonrenfro.com is the number one resource. Now, <laughs> yeah, no, so actually there, there's, there's tons of resources out there. Um, the book that I always suggest uh, people start with uh, is a random walk down Wall Street. It's a classic. Um, I think it does a really good job of explaining uh, the basic ideas of, you know, how investing works. Uh, and I think it's it's written in language that's very accessible. Uh, you know, to someone who's not going to necessarily nerd out on it like you or I might. You know, so so if this is someone, you know, a, a client says, hey, you know, I want to know more about investing, or a student says. Hey, you know, I want to, I want to kind of know more about how this works. Where do I start? Uh, I always start them with uh, a random walk down Wall Street.
1: Awesome. I have not read that book yet. So I'm really excited to check it out.
0: Yeah, good. No, like I said, it's it's a classic. Um, you know, it's one of those that you go look on Amazon. I bet you can find used copies for two or three dollars.
1: Oh, um, even better. Yeah. The frugal nerd in me is like, yes, Brandon. Yeah,
0: <laughs> yeah no, this, this is not some latest, greatest, uh, you know, hot off the press. This is a good, good old fashioned classic. Uh, definitely a top 10 investing book,
1: which is so interesting, right? Because I think a lot of the best books are the classics. It's the ones that are just timeless. So I I think that says a lot, especially from an investing standpoint too.
0: Yeah. Hey, and it's on an audio book. Um,
1: oh my gosh.
0: Yeah. Uh, Selling me on it. Yeah, no, it's, it's good stuff
1: this is awesome. Okay. So when we, when we're thinking about investing and we're starting to learn more, we read the book, we go to your website, we're learning about some of the backend stuff and how to set up the foundation. Once we get to that point, any suggestions for making your first index fund purchase? Like where, where do you actually go to do that? And how do we make sure we're not totally messing that up?
0: Yeah. Uh, and, and again, this is, uh, you know, one of those deals where I think, you know, just do something simple and start, um, there's essentially any of those, you know, the, the online, you know, easy access sites that you can think of, you know, TD fidelity and all those guys. Uh, if you want more handholding, yeah, go, go to an advisor. Um, you know, that somebody that'll help you with it, somebody that'll do some of the planning for you. Um, you know, just, uh, again, you know, if you, if you go in knowing that you're, you're, you're wanting a well-balanced index, uh, fund portfolio, um, you know, again, it just kind of depends on how how much of a do-it-yourselfer you are. Do you want to go do some research and and, and pick the funds? And and again, you don't you don't have to make it complicated. It's true. Uh, you know, or you know, like I said, you know, find an advisor that uh, uh you know that you that you like, you think understands you, and and you know have them go to work for you.
1: Talk to me a little bit too. I know you're you're a fee-only advisor. So what does that mean versus somebody that's not fee-only?
0: Yeah, in a nutshell, it basically just means you know a fee-only advisor. Which yes, I do want to plug, but go to a fee-only advisor. Uh, It just means somebody who's not going to sell you something on a commission, right? Mm -hmm. So you know, a client comes to me, uh, you know, regardless of the product that I use, because you you know you're obviously it's investing, so you're going to use some products, right? Stocks, bonds, mutual funds. I get you know I get paid for the advice, you get paid for the planning, Um, you know. So whereas a, a commissionable or a commissioned advisor, uh, you know, may get paid different rates based on, you know, what they're what they're selling you. It's very much a transactional. Uh, not that they're inherently evil, okay? I mean, you know, I don't I don't think compensation methods uh, are, you know, you know what drives a person's character, but just it just kind of sets the stage, right? You know, sure. if, if you're working with a fee-only advisor, um, you know, there's there's a little bit less conflicts of interest.
1: Agreed. Yeah. I I think that's a really, really good point too. And then once we're we're starting to pick something, I love that you say, just keep it simple and just dive in. I think the fear is that there's so much on the line. I don't want to be the bag lady, you know, that didn't save enough for retirement or didn't invest enough. And I don't want to be that person. Is there really, so if I were just to go to say Vanguard and go pick out some index funds that look good to me, Am I going to totally mess up my entire financial future by doing that?
0: I I, I guess it's the uh, uh, the the compliance in me that keeps wanting to throw these caveats in there. You know, again, <laughs> totally. I'm I'm not saying wing it, okay? But what I yeah, what I'm saying is if if you if if you just want to do this on your own, you just want to start saving some money, uh, and you just go to Vanguard and you pick a couple of funds. I mean, yeah, you're, you're probably going to be a lot better off um, than if you just did nothing. You know, it's, it's a lot harder to screw yourself up, uh, you know, doing, uh, doing some kind of, you know, plain vanilla saving for retirement, mm-hmm. um, you know, than it is now. Yeah. If you're going out there and you're going to start doing day trading or, you know, complex, you know, yeah, no, that there's a good chance that's going to blow up in your face. Um, but if you're just going to go out there and pick some index funds, consistently save and, you know, pick your head up in 30 years and look at it, Um, you know, yeah, could you be better off if you did something better? Absolutely. Um, But the odds that you're going to be better off doing that than if you had had done nothing uh, are, they're extremely high.
1: Yeah. I love that. So that for makes you, makes perfect sense, man. It's like the same thing with saving, even if you're only saving $10 per month and that's all you can afford, it's better than $0 so. For right. Sure, I'm right.
0: Like- and I guess a good uh, to extend that analogy, that would be, I guess equivalent to, you know, if you've decided you're going to save, you know, you're going to go down to your local bank and buy a CD. Okay. Mm-hmm. You know what, if that's all the analysis you want to do is this bank is the closest one to my house. I'm going to walk down the street and buy a CD. Um, you know, if you shop around, could you maybe find one with a little higher rate? Yeah. You know, would you be better off if you did that? Of course. Right. But just going down to the nearest bank and buying a CD is still going to make you better off, true. uh, you know, than if you just never do anything.
1: So, so true. So for you personally, I'm always curious, how are you currently invested? Like what's your asset allocation if you're comfortable sharing that?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I'm 90% equity. Uh, I, I use index funds as well. Yeah. Um. So, uh, you know, yeah, no, I, I stay pretty aggressive. And, and to be honest, I'll, I'll probably stay more aggressive than, a, than I might even suggest uh, to other folks. But it's just because I have a comfort level with it.
1: I wondered about that as an advisor, if it, if it does mean that you are more comfortable and more tolerant of risk.
0: Yeah, and, and still there too, you know, even just defining that risk and what it really means. You know, fluctuations in a portfolio don't really bother me. Same. Uh, and, and in fact, you know, for a saver, those fluctuations can actually help a lot. That's one of the illustrations that I do with my students in investments uh, courses. You know, I show them, hey, look, you know, you're young, you're still saving. The market takes a big hit. Well, you know, and it's kind of a cliche thing to say, but, you know, hey, you know, equities just went on sale. Right. Yep. So the next the next little influx of cash you put in there, uh, you know, you're going to scoop up a lot of equity for cheap. Uh, and so, you know, let that you know that volatility can very much play in your favor, you know. Um, and then, you know, you look at the value of the equities that you held, you know. If they fell, well, you're not selling them though, so it kind of doesn't matter right now what they're what they're worth. And obviously, I'm kind of simplifying it a little bit, but you know, you, you get the idea there, right? Um, the short-term fluctuations. Um, I, I just personally, I'm I'm 32. You know, I'm not uh, I'm not terribly worried about them right now.
1: Mm-hmm. Agreed. I feel the exact same way about that too. And anytime it goes down and up to me, it's, and it's, it's very true. It's like, you're not losing money until you cash out. If you cash at that lower rate, yeah, you lost probably some money, but if you're playing the long-term game, I think that's less and less of an issue for a lot of people. Yeah. I love this. This has been such a good conversation, Brandon. I definitely want to dive into the 4% rule, but I think we're going to have to wait on that. So we're bringing you back on again.
0: Yeah. Sounds good.
1: Are you down for some rapid fire questions before we chat about how people can connect with you?
0: Heck yeah. I'll shoot from the hip too.
1: Oh, they're good. They're so fun to me. Okay. So the first question that I have for you is what is one purchase that you've recently made that has made your life better?
0: Mm. Ooh, Home gym equipment.
1: Oh, tell us more. What'd you get?
0: Yeah. So, uh, standard fare, you know, pull up bar, sit up, bitch, flat bench, all that good stuff. Um, but it saves time. You know, it actually, it wasn't about necessarily working out any better. It was just, you know, shoot. By the time I get ready, drive 10 minutes down to the gym, you know, get going, drive 10 minutes home, you know, easily eaten up 30 minutes just in the, my, you know, my buzzword again, inefficiency. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the, the friction of just coming and going. So, Now it's in my garage. I I park in the driveway now, but, um, sacrifice well made.
1: Oh, I love this. That's such a good one. So my next question for you, I personally am obsessed with people's morning routines and I know you've got a family. So morning routines fluctuate for you for sure, but what is your current morning routine?
0: Yeah. So, um, and actually doesn't fluctuate as much as you might think. Um, Hmm. so, uh, you're right i have a, a wife a five-year-old daughter and a four-month-old son um, i wake up earlier uh, than all of them done rarely set an alarm uh, but i just kind of wake up generally between five and six sometimes i'll sleep as late as seven um but they usually won't wake up unless we have somewhere to go uh, until around eight o'clock mm-hmm. so i get up kind of do the the casual drink my coffee um, you know check, check emails that maybe I didn't get to the day before and usually do some reading, uh, you know, kind of see what's going on for the day, but kind of chilling in the mornings. Occasionally, depending on what mood I'm in, I may go ahead, and, you know, go for a run or something and, and get that over with for the day. But, uh, walks are pretty normal. So, you know, after I've had my coffee and done a little reading, I'll go for a little walk and come home and usually they're, they're starting to stir.
1: That's such a good morning routine. Okay. How the heck did you get to the point where you didn't have to use a alarm clock?
0: I have no idea. Um, it random. Yeah. Incredibly I, jealous. Now. So when I have an eight o'clock class, I will usually set an alarm, uh, you know, just in case, Yeah. but usually I'm up, you know, before it goes off and just turn it off and that way it doesn't wake up the family and do my thing.
1: Best. Man. Good for you. Yeah, That's no, it's
0: super de- cool. Yeah. Definitely a convenient quirk to have.
1: That's like the best quirk ever. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So my next question for you is what is one location you're dying to travel to?
0: Um, You know, my wife and I have talked, we have not talked about it in years actually since having kids. Uh, obviously uh, focus has changed a little bit, but uh, we, we've talked about going to, uh, to Hershey, Pennsylvania uh, for, you know, obviously the, you know, Hershey factory. And then if I recall, I think it's pretty near Gettysburg. Um, so I, I'd kind of like to go see that. So I think, I think that area, I think if we just had a, you know, surprise, we're going on a vacation, I, I bet that's what we would do.
1: That'd be so much fun. Yeah. Pull that out of your Roth IRA, make it happen. I'm kidding. <laughs>
0: <laughs> just if I went in there and told my wife I was about to, <laughs> she would think I'd had a stroke.
1: She's like, what's wrong with you? (laughs) That's so good. That would be a very fun trip though.
0: Yeah, I think it would.
1: Okay. My friend, last question for you, in your opinion, what is the secret to financial success?
0: Yeah, actually that one's easy because I feel like we've, uh, we've hit it several times. It's just doing something, you know, um, you know, don't get so bogged down in the detail that, uh, that you just, you, you don't act right. Just do something. You know, something is better than the nothing you were doing before. So, you know, start saving, you know, cut a little bit out of your budget, you know, whatever it is you're doing, just somehow improve, do something.
1: Such a killer answer. What a great way to wrap up this conversation. For everybody listening in, where do they go to hang out with you? Where, where are you hanging out most days?
0: Um, yeah, so like I said, uh, my website, BrandonInfo.com. Uh, occasionally you'll, uh, you know, see me on a podcast uh, such as yours. Uh, so you know you can uh, you can see me on a few of those and um, you know feel free to shoot me an email my contact info is on my site uh, if you have questions uh, you know depending on what they are if they're relevant you know most of most of what I write about is going to be on the distribution side of retirement planning so how do we craft an income stream once we retire uh, but if you know the questions kind of along those veins uh, you know may even you know write up an article and post to the site so um, you know you can find me there.
1: That's so awesome. Brandon, thank you so much for your time. It was truly a pleasure learning from you and hearing about all the cool ways that we can access our money a little bit earlier and simplifying this very confusing topic. I appreciated the way you broke that down.
0: Yeah, it was good. Thanks for having me on.
1: Okay. What'd you think? I love this episode. I thought it was jam-packed with some really, really great information. The piece that really stood out to me was the whole conversation about Roth ladder conversions. There's a blog post attached to this. So if you go to the show notes, Brandon has a really in-depth blog post that is very good to listen to. or or to read through, I guess, as you listen to this episode, I think it'll really help you break down some of those concepts as well. So definitely check out the show notes and click on that. And don't forget to support our sponsor. If you're considering going back to school and you want to save a little bit of money, but still get a world-class education, then definitely check out outlier.org. I'm a big fan of everything that they're doing. And anybody that disrupts the higher education model has my heart. I think it's really cool. So definitely check them out. If you love the show, then definitely support the sponsor. All right. That is it for today. Thank you so much for tuning in. I'd love to hear your takeaways on Instagram. So make sure you tag me. I am at Whitney underscore Hanson underscore co and I'd love to hear from you. Thank you so much. I hope you're having a great week and I will see you on Friday for Five Tip Friday or on our next episode of the Money Nerds podcast. Bye.